Welcome back to Sideline Exposure. I'm your host, Mitchell Crossan, joined by my brother, Joshua Crossan, today, talking about college football week 10. Joshua, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Okay, so let's start off with the big game of the week, Tennessee at Georgia, and Georgia dominated. Georgia had 14 in the first, 10 in the second, and Tennessee did not score in the third quarter. I don't think we thought that Tennessee was going to come back in the second half, but when they were held scoreless and then going to the fourth quarter, Georgia had this game under control. And it was essentially over once the Volunteers didn't score in the third. Georgia, clear number one team right now. It seems like there's Georgia at the top, eight miles of undeveloped land, and then everyone else, two through 25. And as we know, this Georgia defense pretty much put Hendon Hooker in a blender, and they didn't have outside linebacker Nolan Smith, who was Georgia's top pass rusher, who's out for the season with a torn pec. So they did this without this guy that was really dominant for their defense. Joshua, what did you think of Georgia's performance? It probably seems like they are the clear number one team right now. Oh, without a doubt. One thing that stood out to me was Georgia's secondary. Super physical. They're willing to give up a couple PI holding plays, but they just dominated Tennessee's wideouts through all four quarters. Yeah, and it wasn't close. And even Jalen Hyatt said this after the game. Georgia was way more physical than even Alabama. And Hyatt went on to say that the atmosphere was insane. He said it was so loud at times that the players couldn't hear the snap call from Hooker. So that definitely played a part as well. Georgia and their fans showed up and were very loud. Hendon Hooker, 23 for 33, 195, no touchdowns, one pick. He also took six sacks. And it felt like more than that, Georgia's defense would blitz. They'd get there quick. And Hendon did what he could, but there wasn't a lot he could do. Everybody, it feels like, is thinking Georgia is the clear number one team. And this looked like a Georgia team from week one who had that dominant win over Oregon, just dominance on both sides of the ball. Let's move on to Ohio State at Northwestern. Really weird game. Northwestern kind of hung in there with the Buckeyes, but ultimately Ohio State prevailed 21-7. A lot of people saw the bad weather, the wind, the rain, the wind gusts of 40, 50, 60, whatever it was. So you know going in, you look at the weather forecast, you know Ohio State, who primarily likes to throw the ball, is going to have to lean on the run game. And the run game has been a concern the past couple of weeks with Iowa and Penn State. We'll get into that more later. You could argue that since Ohio State couldn't throw, Northwestern could keen in on the run, stack the box. And maybe that's the reason why Ohio State struggled on the ground. The only problem is Northwestern coming into this game had the 110th ranked rush defense. They were also 1-7, now 1-8 for the Wildcats. CJ threw for 76 yards, rushed for 79 yards. Northwestern actually outgained Ohio State in terms of total yardage, 285 for the Wildcats, 283 for Ohio State. Joshua, do you have any concerns about Ohio State moving forward? Do you think this was kind of a one-off, or do you think that they definitely have things to work on? Oh, 100% there are things to work on. I mean, the first like opening weekend against Notre Dame, JSN got hurt. That was the, the excuse. Last week against Penn State, first true road game. This week, it's the win. Every week, there's some sort of excuse or something that happens that holds back Ohio State for some reason. Uh, stock is trending down a little bit. Not really going to long Ohio State at the moment. Yeah, I would agree. And I made a video about this on social media yesterday. You can follow us at Silent Exposure on TikTok. 
and at Silent Exposure on Instagram and Facebook, at Silent Exposed on Twitter. This run game especially has been a problem for Ohio State since the bye week. So you can look at the last three games since the bye week. Iowa at home, 66 yards rushing. The following week at Penn State, 98 yards rushing. And then yesterday versus Northwestern, 207 yards rushing. Now, people would say, since when is 207 yards bad? Well, if you watch the first half or the first three quarters, you would see that Ohio State could not run the ball. And then eventually, Mayan Williams had like a 20-yard run for a touchdown. C.J. Stroud rushed for 79 yards. The non-rushing quarterback almost had half the total yards on the ground, and we know that he doesn't like to run the ball. The offensive line did not play well. Mayan Williams had like 20 or 30 yards on like his first 12 carries. And Ohio State has a huge talent advantage over Northwestern, a coaching advantage over, over Northwestern. If they line up, even if Northwestern knows they're going to run the ball because they can't throw with the wind and the rain, Ohio State and their offensive line should be able to push around Northwestern no problem, and they did not do that. You can actually argue at times on both sides of the ball that Northwestern's own line was pushing around Ohio State's D-line and that Ohio State's offensive line could not push around Northwestern's defensive line. Now, is this the biggest deal in the world? Not necessarily, but it does feel like I don't want to say excuse, but for lack of a better word, maybe excuses towards the weather. Yes, the weather was bad, and yes, this made Ohio State one-dimensional, but you have to be able to run the ball and pick up that yardage on like a third and one, third and two, especially against a team in Northwestern that has the 110th ranked rush defense. And frankly, for Ohio State, it's not good enough. The big game against Michigan coming up in two weeks. Obviously, you can't overlook Indiana and Maryland the next two weeks, but... Michigan looks good. We know they can run the ball. They have a defense that's looking pretty solid, even though they lost some edge rushers last year. Ohio State has to fix some things going into the final weeks of the regular season. Okay, moving on. Clemson at Notre Dame. The Fighting Irish get it done. Statement win for Marcus Freeman. The first statement win in that era for him. Notre Dame 35, Clemson 14. General consensus seems like the Fighting Irish will probably be ranked in the college football playoff 25. Good for them. And also, speaking of Ohio State, this helps boost Ohio State's resume as they get another ranked win. People were knocking Ohio State because of how bad Notre Dame looked since that close loss, you could call it, to the Buckeyes. But now that's looking like a resume booster for Ohio State. But back to Notre Dame, they held Clemson to just 281 yards of total offense and held them out of the end zone until the fourth quarter. They went up 28 nothing. They ran away with this. DJ clearly struggled yet again. He is not looking good. He's been a problem with them last year. Really a liability. This year, it looked like they were trying to play to his strengths, if you want to call that his strength. But in this game, 27 for 39, 191, one touchdown, one pick. Kate Klubnick came in, threw a pass, threw a pick. Clemson definitely felt lucky, in my opinion, to be ranked in the initial college football playoff rankings at four. I didn't think they deserved to be there. I think a lot of people felt like Michigan should have been there, but of course the committee did not like Michigan's week schedule, especially their out-of-conference schedule. Clemson felt like a fraud team, and Notre Dame exposed them. Joshua, thoughts on Clemson? Do you think a one-loss Clemson, if they win the ACC, could run the table and work themselves back into really being a true contender to make the playoff? No way. Their season's over. They'll have a good New Year's Six Bowl, the Cotton Bowl, or something like that. 
but I mean, you have the you have TCU undefeated. You'll have a one-loss Pac-12 team most likely in UC, uh, Oregon or USC, and then obviously they put Tennessee in front of the ACC champion Clemson. Their season's done, and it really does feel like that. And the committee has even showed us undefeated Clemson was ranked fourth. I mean, undefeated, they were barely going to get in if we took those rankings as the final rankings at that time. So. One loss Clemson. Technically, yes, we've seen you can make the playoff with one loss, but the committee barely had faith in them beforehand. Sure, I guess they like their wins over Wake Forest, Syracuse, NC State, whatever. Those wins don't look as good now as those teams kind of beat up each other and lose more games. But a one loss Clemson really feels like even if they run the table and win the ACC, unless there's a ton of chaos, it feels like they're probably going to be outside looking in, and it kind of feels like it's going to be that way for the ACC in general this year. Okay, moving on to the primetime game of the week, Alabama at LSU. The Tigers pull it off in overtime, 32-31. Two losses for Bama. Bye-bye, Bama. They're done. They're out of the playoff. There's going to be a time where a two-loss team makes the playoff, but it's definitely not going to be Alabama this year. If someone did, you could say LSU. And look, if LSU and Alabama you know, finish with two losses, of course LSU would get the nod in that situation because they have that head-to-head win. But more importantly, that's all speculation. Brian Kelly gets his signature win, if you will, in the LSU era. Alabama, I don't know, enjoy the New Year's Six Bowl or whatever they're going to be in. Bryce Young, he is the motor that makes that team go. And Alabama has had what looks like a lack of skill player development really over the last couple of years. Last year, they got Jamison Williams out of the portal from Ohio State. And you, when you pair him with a guy like Bryce Young, Sure, that's a dynamic offense with that one-two punch. But outside of him, and you could even say John Mechie, who else do you have? And Jameson Williams was that electric deep ball threat. He had that 4-3 speed. This year, obviously, you lose John Mechie and Jameson Williams. They got some more guys from the portal. They got Gibbs from the portal. They keep digging into the portal, but it seems like there's just a lack of development in their skill players. Like, where are the Alabama skill players that we've known from that wide receiver core a couple years ago? And... It's lacking, and they're not giving Bryce Young a ton of help. Of course, you want to rely on Bryce Young and Will Anderson to win games. And Will Anderson, 17 and a half sacks last year. I know that teams are keen in on him this year. He's getting double teams, getting chipped, whatever. He's been a little quiet. He hasn't really had his Chase Young season this year. You could say he had his 2019 Chase Young season last year, and that's fine. He's still going to be a top five pick, maybe the number one pick. But Bama does not feel like Bama. And look, at this point, LSU is the best two-loss team in the country, which is weird to say. I don't know where the committee is going to rank LSU. I wasn't sure about LSU. Going into this game, playing at Death Valley is difficult. Alabama does struggle on the road. You know, they struggled against Texas early on when they went on the road there. Playing at Death Valley, especially at night, is not difficult. Joshua, thoughts on LSU? Are they a true college football playoff contender, or does the two losses so far kind of prohibit them from making their way back into the playoff? Uh, Two loss kind of limits their ceiling. Uh, We saw this was Penn State and Ohio State. Penn State was a two-loss team a couple years ago, won the Big Ten, had the head-to-head against Ohio State, and Ohio State still got the nod. There's no way that they're going to put a two-loss. Even if uh, LSU wins the SEC, they're not going to put them above let's say, a one-loss um, Oregon Pac-12 champ. Yeah, and that's interesting because if they did beat 
let's just say let's say they win the West and they play Georgia. If they beat Georgia and that was Georgia's only loss, what a disaster that would be. Because I feel like the committee is almost always going to put the SEC champ in there. But if the SEC champ has two losses, people are going to be upset if they're like the number one seed or even if they make it in. And then that's going to be a total disaster because then what do you do about Georgia? What do you do about the Big Ten champ? What if Michigan and Ohio State play each other? It's like a double overtime game. Only one of those teams will get to go and play for the Big Ten Championship. So then you could argue, what if both those teams could get in? We're not even talking about TCU. The ACC, we think, is probably done. The Pac-12 is still open. It feels like Oregon is maybe the best team out of the Pac-12, but USC and UCLA are still hanging in there. So now this conversation is kind of transitioning into college football playoff talk. Here are essentially the teams that are still in it. You can look at everyone that doesn't have two or more losses, but as we said, it does feel like as of now, the ACC's done and going to be on the outside looking in. And then teams like Liberty, thanks for playing. You guys are having a great season. But again, Cincinnati was your representation last year. And not that they didn't deserve to get in, but it would be harder for another team like that to get in, especially this year. So Georgia, Tennessee, obviously both are still alive. Georgia's looking like a sheer lock at this point. Ohio State, Michigan, TCU, and then we're heavy in the Pac-12, Oregon, USC, UCLA. And then Ole Miss is still hanging in there as well. They only have the one loss, and they play Alabama next week, so they could add something to their resume, although Alabama's looking less convincing each and every week. Joshua, do you think there are any teams that are missing out of this playoff conversation other than what was just listed off? No, not at all. And we're going to get a lot of clarity. We're only going to have one team from the Big Ten. Ohio State, Michigan is going to be a limitation game. I think, like you said, Georgia's a lot guaranteed. I think Tennessee's on the outside looking in. And I want some respect for TCU. If you had Oklahoma's name right there, Oklahoma would be the top three team right now. It does feel like that. And I'm curious to see what the committee does with TCU this week. So, Updated college football rankings released this Tuesday, which we will be going live on TikTok if you want to join us and see what those rankings are. Check us out then. Georgia is the clear number one. I don't think there's much of a debate there. Then there's almost a gap. And from here, this is where the true debate can start. I feel like the committee will probably leave Ohio State number two. And I think that's not necessarily because they deserve the number two ranking. There's a little bit of who else would you put there? But also, the committee could argue, well, it was a weird game. You had like a monsoon, kind of a one-off, and we're going to give Ohio State the benefit of the doubt. Joshua, do you think the committee keeps Ohio State at the number two spot? Yeah, unfortunately, they have to. I think they put a limitation on like docking Michigan last week when they said they had a super weak non-conference schedule. And so they can't jump them from four to two in one week when they only played Rutgers. Even though they won, I think, 52 to 17, it's still Rutgers. They're supposed to win by 50. Yeah, I think that's a valid point. So we're thinking Georgia 1, Ohio State 2. Then I put Tennessee 3. Now, hypothetically, if the committee put Tennessee 2, and I don't think they will, I wouldn't be too upset about that. Yes, they did not look good against Georgia. It was really a blowout, and even the score wasn't a true indicator on how much Georgia completely controlled and dominated that game. But you know, Tennessee has looked pretty good this year, and they still have a good offense. You can argue they still have the Heisman front runner. We'll get into the Heisman conversation a little bit later. But this is where things get kind of fumbled. So 
we'll put Tennessee three for now, and then Michigan four. I think Michigan has to be in the top four, regardless of what the committee thinks about you know their win over Rutgers or their schedule thus far. And I think that's also because you know teams are moving down as teams continue to lose. Probably TCU five and Oregon six. Not going to go past that right now, but it's interesting to see TCU is probably still on the outside looking in. They do control their own destiny. As long as they keep winning, they will work their way in the top four. And then Oregon six is interesting, right? You have the one last Ducks who were blown out by Georgia, but who have consistently looked better week over week. It's hard to say right now that they are the best Pac-12 team. You could say USC is, although USC did struggle last night in their game against Cal. The Trojans did pull it off, but Oregon, USC, and UCLA, all one loss Pac-12 teams right now. Joshua, out of the Pac-12, who do you think is going to face off in the Pac-12 championship now that they don't have divisions? It's looking like it could be like Oregon-USC. Do you think Oregon is the top dog in the Pac-12 right now? Oh, that's a good one. I think maybe I also like Utah. Utah plays tough. I know they're a two-loss team. They lost in week one to Florida, but Utah's just tough with Cameron Rising out there, and I like maybe an Oregon-Utah type of game, maybe. That could be a really good one, and Utah did beat USC, so we got to keep that in mind, and the the two-loss discussion is interesting, and not that this necessarily relates to getting into the top four of the playoff itself, but... You know, Penn State, two-loss team. Utah, two-loss team. LSU, two-loss team. Bama, two losses. Granted, they don't have a great win. You can say they have a ranked win over Texas. Whatever. Fine. Texas won, but Texas is a three-loss team. These two-loss these two lost teams are hanging in there and are really just a good resume boosters for these teams that have beaten them. And the Pac-12 is interesting. They've definitely played a lot better than I think a lot of people thought this year. UCLA has played better. USC has kind of... I think performed two expectations. I don't think anybody really thought they would go undefeated this year, but it's interesting to see out of the PAC 12, Utah, Oregon, USC, and UCLA, who's the last man standing. If it's a two loss, Utah, yeah, they're not going to get in. They have two losses. Can't get into the playoff, but I do think Oregon is putting themselves in a position and opening the the door further and further to make it to the playoff. All right. Last segment here on today's episode Heisman Trophy conversation, because we are in November, usually we see someone start to pull away, but this year's Heisman just feels kind of all over the place, and we had subpar performances from CJ Stroud and Hendon Hooker, who are still the clear front runners. It's looking like, I don't know, CJ and Hendon are pretty close. I guess you could say CJ Stroud is the front runner, and look, he's in a position to add more quality wins to his schedule and could have a quote-unquote Heisman moment maybe against Michigan. So the problem with Hooker is Tennessee loses to Georgia, same division in the SEC. They're probably not going to play in the SEC championship game. So now you're Tennessee, sure, maybe you win your next three games, maybe Hendon Hooker has a pretty good performance, but you don't have that data point in the conference championship against, doesn't matter, Alabama, LSU, whatever to add that to your resume. And that was important late in the year last year when the race was between Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud, the regular season game, and the conference championship. A lot of people put a lot of value. Hey, maybe I was thinking C.J. Stroud, then Bryce Young went off, beat Georgia, you know, that crazy defense that Georgia had. 
and then a lot of people cemented their vote because of Bryce Young's performance. Hendon Hooker, probably not going to get that chance because Georgia, let's look at who they play for the next three games. Mississippi State, Kentucky, Georgia Tech. Georgia's not going to lose. Even if they dropped one game, they would still have that tiebreaker over Tennessee, and Georgia still represents the East in the SEC Championship. So, Hendon Hooker is still not out of it, but it's not looking great for Hendon. And this is where things get complicated, because from here, CJ and Hendon at the top, you have Blake Corum, Caleb Williams, Bo Nix, Drake May. Bo Nix is interesting. Stenson Bennett is thrown in there. Joshua, outside of Hendon Hooker and Blake Corum, who do you think has the best chance to really work their way into that top conversation with those two guys? Do you think Bo Nix, Stenson Bennett? What are your thoughts on the Heisman race? What a horrible Heisman year. I mean, CJ Stroud's doing everything he can to lose this. And I meant he has Indiana and then Maryland and then Michigan and then the Big Ten Championship, possibly. So, I meant he needs to throw up at least 10 touchdowns, maybe two picks over the next two games going into Michigan. Blake Corum's tearing it up at Michigan. If he beats Ohio State and runs for like 250 yards, I think the Heisman's his. Bo Nix is tearing it up out west um he needs a little bit more respect but i mean you can't lose by like 50 points to georgia in the first week and still win the heisman stats and bennett's a really good game manager but he doesn't have the stats to really back it up and then there's everybody else i mean i wish hendon hooker had one more big game to give himself another opportunity but he had his chance and he kind of blew it yeah and it's an interesting discussion because I feel like Heisman voters might just end up settling this year. And we'll have to see how the next two weeks go. But we could be in a position to where C.J. Stroud, Blake Corum, whoever wins that game and looks good doing it, could lock it up for the Heisman. Now, right, we still have to see what happens in the Big Ten Championship. And, you know, you'll have that data point for Ohio State or Michigan. It's looking like whoever wins that game is going to be representing the Big Ten in the Big Ten Championship game for that division. But I don't know. I look at a I look at a guy like Bo Nix, look at a guy like Stenson Bennett. I feel like they're just a little far out there. I do think Bo Nix is starting to trend upwards, but if he is able to work his way into the position to be a Heisman front runner over the next three or four weeks, that would be such a quick come up. It'd be ridiculous. Now if he keeps throwing, you know, five touchdowns a game and if Oregon wins the Pac twelve and he throws for you know, five touchdowns and runs for two. That could happen. But I would think he would need help from CJ Stroud having subpar to a uh, poor performance. And maybe the same from guys like Blake Corum, Caleb Williams, and other candidates like that. Okay, so a little bit longer than usual, but nice to have my brother here joining. So that will conclude this week's episode of Silent Exposure. Joshua, thanks for coming on the show today. Hey, thanks for having me. Interesting week, interesting year so far. Teams are starting to separate themselves. We have interesting races with the Heisman Trophy. A lot's going to change in November. November does show who's a pretender, who's a contender. So stay tuned. Every week we'll drop a new episode and we'll go live on TikTok with the new college football rankings every Tuesday. Go ahead and shoot us a follow on there if you want to join us. Follow us on our socials at Sideline Exposure. On everything else other than Twitter, at Sideline Expose. Thanks for listening and as always, go Bucks.